Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another episode of The Science of Pokemon. I am Veteran Lucas, and with me, as always, is Professor Collins. What's up, dude? How's life? Uh, good, you know, uh, who needs sleep? Because you're never going to get it. That's a quote from Ed Robertson of the Bare Naked Ladies. Oh. That's no, nice you know, kids, kids are good. Uh, just teething, so, you know, lack of sleep in our household right now. But, uh, ah. yeah, life is good. Uh, uh, yeah, uh. We, the kid was Sailor Moon for Halloween. That was fun. Aww. Yeah, all of her friends were things like Paw Patrol and Marvel characters, and then she's Sailor Moon. <laughs> That's good parenting right there, I'll tell you, you what. You know what? <laughs> she likes what she likes. We're, we're, we actually, we are in the middle of reading uh, the first Harry Potter book together. Obviously, she's not reading it. I'm reading it. She's listening. Yeah, you know, it's, it's good. I, I'm happy to see. It's fun watching kids grow. All right. How about you? Um, so I've been helping out at our um, uh, the Manatee Viewing Center out near us. It's pretty much stingrays and manatees, and since it's free, it's a great place for people to go and visit to learn about these animals that would normally not be able to afford it. On the other hand, you'll get a lot of guests who, since they've never really been around animals, ask some really <laughs> weird questions. I had someone come up to me. I've never me seen a dog. No, it, it's you. You say that, but I had a man look me dead in the eyes and go, "Um, excuse me, are stingrays animals?" <laughs> and then me and Will from our no, they we're are talking, fungus. We were like, "No, they're minerals. No, they're they're beefy bacteria. They're more conceptually animals." Like, just like they're, they're that sounds like a sounds like it's, a Bob Burgers answer. They're more conceptually animals. No, and then you got the. I mean, stingrays do have a mucusy layer on them, so everyone goes, "Ew, slimy!" And you tell them it's not slime; it's mucus. They go, "Ew again." It's it's fun. Um. Okay. Well, speaking of mucus. Yeah. Slimy. Yeah. Slippery. Sounding grosser. Keep going. Frogs. Yes, frogs are. Thi what 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 are we doing now? What is this? What is what? What is this? What? What? what, what is there a pun coming? Well, usually I make lots of puns, or so I've been told. Cue the music for the love of God! Just cue the music. Okay, so. We're going to try, be trying something different here. As we said, this is our second year now, so some things are changing. More interviews, um, different flow with some of the things. We'll be doing more conventions and so forth. Uh, what we're going to do is, after our introduction in every segment, our goal is to do some news here, just real quick stuff. We want to do some science news as well as some Pokemon news. So I'm going to start us off with our first science news, uh, and it's going to be about dolphin calls. So recent... I'm uh, out. I'm done. Taking off the headphones. Wait, wait. Rip. You actually got to hear this. This is really awesome. You're the worst. I know, I know. However, after listening to uh, another podcast I, I like, uh, it's a Dungeons & Dragons podcast, where they talked about animals as mindless, uh, uh, just essentially mindless eating machines, <laughs> mindless instinct machines, I loved this hearing this, this story. So uh, recent research uh, looking into dolphin communication has shown that dolphin language, like human language, is evolving. Okay. So, because of the larger amount of noise pollution in the ocean, dolphins are now changing and adapting the way they communicate with each other into shorter and more precise uh, little uh, tidbits. So, essentially what we've done with the English language. So, like, instead of yep. saying, yo man, how's it going? It just turns to, so... Yo. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Dolphins are doing that, which is really cool. So instead of saying, hey, it's nice to see you, it's nice. Yeah, it's That's interesting. That's cool how, I mean, again, we always talk about how animals, some can adapt to us, and that's sad. But then there's always the fun part where animals can. Um, we had a similar story come up with um, orcas that well, were living next to um, bottlenoses, and they learned their call. They learned their language. I mean, it's both sad and happy at the same time. But it's also sad yeah. that, that to, we don't want to see dolphin language disappear. Um, yeah, no, we don't We don't want to see dolphins disappear. Dolphins are No, wonders. no, I mean like, I mean like the, the language they currently have. 
Yeah, that's true. But for dolphins, it's so interesting because if I took a group of dolphins from one side of Tampa Bay, Florida, and then went to Daytona Beach, same species, they'll have completely different cultures and languages anyway. Yeah, they have, they have different dialects. It's yeah. so cool. It's awesome. All right, what's your news? Uh, well... Well, right now, as we are recording this, it is around mid-November, which means two major things happened. Uh, number one, let's go with the, the smaller thing. Um, let's go, Pikachu, <laughs> let's go, Eevee came out. That was pretty, you know, it's a minor thing. It was, um, it's gotten some mixed reviews. I think it's fun to let the newer players get used to it. I'm not getting oh. it because I've already played Red a million times, but if the newer yeah. players are... If they're like, if the newer players are liking it, let them like it. Stop, stop being jerks about it. But I on mean, the bigger I can't news, get it for uh, for our kid. Yeah. On, on, oh, oh, that's that's gonna be that's gonna be nice though. It's gonna be. But on the bigger news, Detective Pikachu trailer came out, and I was shocked that I actually enjoyed it. I'm so hyped to watch this crud. It looks so much fun. I didn't say good. I said fun. Yeah, I'm good. I'll pass. Oh, no, 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 come on. When the Bulbasaurs were walking together with the Pikachu actually looking like it has fur. I'm Dude, good. They, they literally tapped the artist who is famous for making realistic Pokemon drawings. They brought him in. I think yeah. it's going to be a lot of fun. The story can be hot garbage. It might just be feast for the eyes. If you want to see it, go see it. If you don't want to see it, don't care i'm gonna go be there opening night and if it's terrible i get to enjoy complaining about it more everything okay. wins everyone wins this movie will be fun okay um we have one last news segment uh this is a special one so we'd like to announce our enter ship entering enter uh, joining induction yeah there you go induction Ooh. man words and me are not friends um we ha are joining a, a new uh, League of Pokemon. Uh, it is called the United Pokemon Podcast League, or UPPPL. 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 Lots of P's in there. Up to uh, Epic, whatever. <laughs> yes. Uh, and essentially what this is going to be, this is a draft league between Pokemon podcasts. So we are entering. We are going to have an assistant coach uh, helping us uh, with some of our battling because we are not players not as uh, not, not, not since the old days nope uh however uh to enter this we have to get lots of art because apparently this is going to be advertised uh amongst all 11 participating podcasts as well as several websites so we need your help um, our team is the scienceville incineroars that is our team if you could add, give us some art we would love you forever uh this is going to be all over it's going to be on twitch streamed uh every week Obviously, you get credited for your work. We're not monsters. Oh, most certainly. Most certainly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'll be working on some of my own for us, though I can promise you it won't be as good. <laughs> no. But yeah, uh, we're pretty excited. Uh, and, you know, just uh, show up, show your support. Uh, you know, and hopefully this will turn into a good thing. Uh, we're going to try to get them to talk about doing some stuff with Second Life, especially towards the end of the event. Yeah, no, we want to have, we're doing this because it's fun, gets us a little bit out there, and honestly, we get to just, I, I mean, I like seeing other Pokemon podcasts out there. They might talk about very different things than us, but it's still uh, fun to see do. that sport. They, yeah, they do. Yeah, so, <laughs> you know what? Vote for the science guys. We, we, we'll do that. We, we'll science it up. We'll just teach science them while we're beating them. <laughs> Did you know that this mug kip is actually, this marsh top is actually based on just yeah, stop talking and stop using protect you stalling monsters. It's all oh, the fun. <laughs> all right. So I, with oh. this episode, um, so all the news aside, with this episode, I know it's been very recently since we did another interview, but you know what? We were able to do another one. We're going to do another yeah. one right now. Uh, this is your friend. Though. This is Joanne. Let us know a yes, little bit about uh, Doctor Dr. Dean Horton. Is, uh, his, his focus is microbiology. Um, and I know he has done some study with arachnids as well as amphibians, and he is going to be joining us to discuss all about amphibians. All right, so let's go ahead and start up the interview. Let me just hit this button and go. All right, everybody, welcome to our second interview ever. It is my great pleasure to introduce our next guest. Let's hear it for Dean. Hello, Dean. How are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you? 
I, I am great. I am fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, so really quick, um, just let the nice people know who you are, what you do with your field, and a little bit about yourself. All right, uh, just a brief history of uh, my life, I guess, for the last 10 years. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, studying biology for the uh, last 10 years. Um, got my bachelor's in molecular biology, um, studying environmental biology, uh, but on a molecular level. I uh, got my master's at Kent State, uh, studying ecology, uh, mostly invertebrates, but I taught about vertebrates such as uh, fish, amphibians, also taught in the tropics there as well. And then I got my PhD at Central Michigan University studying environmental microbiology uh, using a lot of genetic tools. So now uh, I, I am essentially managing a genomics uh, lab uh, where I'm doing a lot of sequencing of human genomes and, and microbial genomes and so on and so forth. 90% of that was way above me. Yeah, no, that, like, I'll be honest, I'm the one with the biology degree, and I'm like, uh, I'm just gonna tuck this, like, under my bed, <laughs> like, shame. No, I no, have a bachelor's uh, in bio animal biology, leave me alone. I, I think, I think most profoundly, the thing that he's best known for is he was the drummer of my band. Really? <laughs> yeah. So I love that. Uh, I literally, for our first interview, like, here's my co-worker, and you one-up me, my, here's the dude from my band. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I tried to like use the lesser known facts about me, other than Matt's drummer, you know. Which I didn't want to give it away too, too quickly. But no, you know, I guess now the cat's out of the bag. So he Everyone can, knows. He can verify uh, when I when I was having weekly uh, voice training, I could sing at one point. Oh, fun facts. <laughs> Anyways, uh, oh yeah, so I need to ask you, uh, what experience do you have with amphibians? Uh, my experience with amphibians is mainly, um, I took some classes on amphibians, I, I taught those same classes um, on amphibians, and um, I know a lot about the taxonomy of amphibians in the Northeast United States, mainly Ohio and Michigan. Um, so uh, just know a lot of uh, where their distributions are, where you find them, where they come out at night. Uh, just general biology and ecology of amphibians, uh, as well as some behavioral stuff. So, like, um, uh, so did, so have you? So you've done a lot of field work with them. Um, so I have done some field work in the past, uh, where I did amphibian surveys um, in, in um, temperate forests, uh, mainly. Um, most of my experience, again, is in environmental microbiology or molecular identification, but all of my teaching experience almost is either, um, well, it's either microbiology or it's uh, vertebrate zoology, uh, which I did teach for several years. All right, so okay. according to, uh, see, so fun fact, we, we did, I, I, we were told a little bit about you thanks to our good friend Matt here. So uh, really quickly, apparently, you have experiences with arachnids as well. Now, we just did an episode on that, but can you tell us a bit more about that? <laughs> oh, man. Well, I have a lot of experiences with arachnids, uh, but I think I know the one that you're referring to. Um, so, Matt once invited me to talk to some of his preschool students about biology. He's like, oh, we'll get a biologist to come in, try and talk about animals and and uh, some animals and pictures I took over in Costa Rica, well, down in Costa Rica, I guess if we're thinking about it, but, um, and he wanted me to talk about this tarantula, so I looked up some tarantula facts and uh, came and I talked about them, showed some pictures, and then Matt told me, or he, he didn't tell me, he told his, his, his uh, kids that, hey, the biologist is going to show us how to hold this tarantula now, and uh, man, uh, that was putting me on quite the spot because I had actually never done that before. And uh, I'm not super comfortable with spiders either. Uh, so uh, I think they're cool, but you know, from a distance. But I did it for the kids, you know. So, <laughs> I, had, I had no idea. I actually had, had thought that you had encountered stuff in Costa Rica. And I was like, oh, I'm sure he knows what he's doing. Oh, I, I had encountered stuff. It weren't pleasurable encounters. Uh, yeah, typically, but, like in field work, yeah. the goal is, oh, are you researching it? No, don't touch it. Yeah, this is a little bit of a tangent, <laughs> but there is a spider down in Costa Rica that I did run into 
It's called a Nephila. It's an orb Ooh. weaver. Um, it's huge. It's uh, about the size of a cell phone. Ooh. And um, if you stretch his legs out right, like that's not his body size, but who knows? Anyways, so they spin these golden webs. Um, and they're not very sticky either. So I actually ran into one of those webs and they're really tough. And I just effectively like stretched into it and then I backed off and it went right back to where it was. They're extremely tough. That's and awesome. that was also frightening because usually those sit right in the middle. Uh, so I panicked that there was one on me, but thank God it was. There was awesome. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah, a bit of a tangent for another arachnid story. <laughs> well, we should have asked you before we did the episode. I, I totally didn't even think about it, and and and, and I also know you uh, you just moved uh, back to Ohio, so I you know we didn't want to bother you too much. So thank you. For oh no, no problem at all. I'm just glad to be back in. Yay! Back in the state. You could have, uh, uh, if you've done the arachnids, you could have enjoyed my rage that none of the Pokemon arachnids have eight legs. It enrages not. me. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty in infuriating. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so listen, back to amphibians. So can you, because we, you know, uh, our whole goal with this podcast is to really educate people. Uh, like, you know, we've done a lot of basics, especially we've done social sciences. Can you tell us, like, what, what is an amphibian and what sets it apart from other types of animals? All right. Um, so if we think about it, amphibians are a group of animals separate from lots of the other groups, such as reptiles, right? Although yeah. the study of... I mean, they kind of um, look like reptiles. Rep yeah, they do. And so they are often studied uh, by the same biologists, like the same biologist. They'll be considered a herpetologist, for example. Uh, and a herpetologist will study amphibians and reptiles or one or the other, right? Even though um, there's been some debate as to whether uh, reptiles are more related to birds, but whatever. Um, which I believe they are. So um, what makes them kind of unique, though, is, uh, well, first off, evolutionarily, um, they are a highly distinct clade of animals, right? Vertebrates specifically. Uh, but they also have a lot of unique physiological uh, characteristics that sets them apart as well. All right. Um, we can talk about some of those characteristics as we go on. I don't want to spoil yeah, everything. Okay, yeah, that's all good. So with amphibians, um, we always love to know where they come from. I know a little bit, like things like Tiktotalic and some of those other species that popped up. Oh, yeah. so where exactly do we yep. see our first amphibians our first true amphibians all right so our first true amphibians um it's from hundreds of millions of years ago right and it's essentially uh, started the same way all vertebrates on land started theoretically uh was fish coming up onto land right there was an open niche on land um some fish decided to exploit that and evolution uh, kind of took its place from there on. Uh, however, amphibians, unlike other animals, kind of had commitment issues <laughs> to whether or not they wanted to be uh, aquatic or if they wanted to be terrestrial. So, well, they ended up um, living this kind of half-life lifestyle where they're partially aquatic, partially terrestrial, can live in either um, fish, right? Uh, the fish that kind of crawled up on land and evolved, they evolved lungs which amphibians did adapt, uh, but um, I'm not sure when it happened, but some amphibians also do not have lungs, and it was probably like a reverse evolutionary thing. You know, but reality, it, all it was was some male amphibian, you know, trying to lead two lives with two separate wives. <laughs> no, yeah. I go to work in the ocean. Yeah. What are you talking about? This is what I deal with from like Mr. Social Science here. Real science fact, then led by fact. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I didn't want to, I didn't want to, you know, spoil the surprise for, for all the listeners out there. But Matt's Matt's theory is the reigning theory. Don't uh, encourage him. Today, uh... <laughs> Anyways, yeah. So about yeah. So like, like you were saying, like Tiktolicrosier is a perfect example of one of those um, fish that is trying to get out of the water there. Uh, same with Ichthyostega is another example. Um, and that's an example of the first amphibians, has lungs, has limbs. Um, but when we think about amphibians today, uh, that divergence happened about 250 million years ago uh, during uh, the end of the Paleozoic or the beginning of the, the Mesozoic. 
Um, and that's where we see the diversions of frogs and salamanders and the lesser known amphibians that kind of look like worms or snakes. Oh, the uh, Sicilians, uh, which you don't commonly see. Yeah. Yeah, and those are kind of interesting. Uh, you generally don't see them unless there's a landslide in the tropics or something. They'll they'll find so their way out. So what are those? But... Can you can you can you uh, can you explain what those are? Sicilians. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're essentially just legless amphibians that live a primarily subterranean life. Huh. Um, they're very mysterious. Um, I haven't had a lot of experience with them. I've I've never seen one. Right? They are very elusive. I've never. I've never gone digging for one either. I believe down here in Florida we actually do have but, like one or two um, species, but I've never seen one either. They're just really cool, weird little buggers. Yeah. Okay. I think you're actually right. Yeah, I think Florida does have some some legless herps down there. Um, <laughs> we, we, we need we yeah. need some of these as Pokemon. Got it. Thank you. Oh yeah, absolutely. Super cool. So um, yeah, that that was about 250 million years ago, and those those are you know kind of diversion to the different species that we have today um the ones left <laughs> not to be too depressing all right so um i, I actually want to know about uh behaviors and uh importantly and i think this is kind of something that we've been talking about a lot um we've made a lot of jokes lucas and i about about animal uh, intelligence and behaviors and cultures because i uh, you know, I, there's a lot of diversity out there, and I don't want people to just think that animals are, are blind instinct machines. So, like, you know, do amphibians have, like, behaviors or traits or, you know, even, uh, yeah, I guess behavior is the best way to put it, that are unique to them. Oh, absolutely. Amphibians are, are, are freaky as they, as they come, man. They are, they're extremely, extremely unique. Um, and I, I don't want to ruin the bubble or, or, or burst your bubble with the whole animals are not machine things because as far as, as animals go uh brightest bulbs on the porch are not generally amphibians but uh they, they are highly highly unique um in their physiology and especially their behaviors um amphibians uh a lot of them undergo metamorphosis right so they'll have a partial aquatic lifestyle and then metamorphose to a terrestrial lifestyle uh, for example, for another extreme example, such as the uh, eastern uh, newt, it uh, starts off its lifestyle as aquatic, right? And then it metamorphoses, it's, it's a tadpole, and, right? And then it metamorphoses into a red eft is what it's called, and that's a terrestrial juvenile newt. But then it metamorphoses, metamorphoses again um, into an adult and then it becomes aquatic again. So it makes two transitions during its life's lifetime. Uh, we see this metamorphosis occurring with lots of amphibian species. Uh, most frogs, right? You're familiar with tadpoles and then they grow up to be frogs within a year or two. Uh, but some actually don't undergo full metamorphosis and have what we consider to be uh, neotenous traits. And what neotenous means um, is it maintains uh, traits of a juvenile nature uh, while also reaching I, I still maturity. am loving yeah, that yeah, weird metamorphosis it's true. almost like the, the little juvenile stage like I'm gonna be like my parents the teenager face you don't understand me dad and then when they get to an adult like oh I see how the world works it gets right <laughs> back in oh yeah yeah they're super weird uh, and they're super angsty just like teens so um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and there's lots of other behaviors, right, um, that you can think of, or lots of other traits. They, they predominantly have pretty thin skin. Um, this is a benefit to them, and it is also a little bit of a curse. So um, it's a benefit to them because they can use cutaneous respiration uh, pretty heavily, which means they don't have to use their lungs as much, if at all. Um, some amphibians Ooh, cool. actually do not even possess lungs. Um or gills it's all cutaneous respiration some of them have gills right some of them breathe like we do with lungs um but it also makes them very susceptible to things such as uv light um infectious agents such as fungus such as a chytrid fungus which has taken a massive toll on some amphibians so they do have some weaknesses also yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, i can't remember if i just mentioned it uv radiation um what about yeah, uh, so the uh the uh, you know what, we'll talk about that at the end, never mind. Alright, yeah. 
yeah sure so there there are just a lot of things to set apart their their reproduction is pretty unique their egg laying um and they they have like large breeding for <laughs> lack of a better word orgies um a lot of them come out at the spring and you don't see them again till the next spring see um, i'm telling you it's a dual life thing yeah look and for all the concerned people listening right now, yes, that is how a lot of animals breed is in large orgy piles. It's not about, <laughs> it's not a dirty joke. This is actual science. That's nature. It's not always as clean cut as Finding Nemo wants you to believe. But do they do they have a nice buffet set okay, up? Now that the... right there, that's getting a little too close to the line. <laughs> 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 all right. So with all those... You've been great answering questions, so we'll go ahead and start our next section up, and um, can you tell us a bit about some of the Pokemon we love? I'm going to say, first off, I, I haven't played Pokemon in a while. I know that's probably blasphemy no, you're on this crazy. podcast. You have confused us for the Gen 1-er crowd who will bite or attack for any, like, horrible misconception. No, we, like, if, if someone says they've never played Pokemon before, I'm not going to rip your head off and drink your blood. No. Right. Yeah. Oh no, I have played Pokemon. Actually, I, I got into the Pokemon Go phase for a little bit, uh, but then I just kept catching those darn Pidgeotos <laughs> and Rotatas. <laughs> I just got it's honestly of gotten a whole lot better, to be honest. Like, <laughs> I, bet, I bet it has. Yeah. I just and there's probably well, like Luke, Poke is, stops all over is, me now that I'm in a is, city. Uh, is, is Chimchar finally in the game? He is. He is in the game. I've been. We have a ton of Poke stops, and I'm using it to become a god amongst my peers. I do love Chimchar. Uh, no, so we want to ask you, though, uh, there's a thing called Quagsar, uh, which is like post any game. Well, maybe you saw it in Pokemon Go. It's essentially a giant salamander. I guess that's what we wanted to know. Can you tell us anything about like the giant salamanders? Okay, yeah, I can tell you a little bit about okay. them. So um, we actually have a species of giant salamander right here in Ohio. Oh. Um, I'll talk to you about that. So it's uh, the family Cryptobranchidae. All right, and that includes a variety of different uh, genera and species of salamanders. Um, the one local to us has a pretty awesome name. It's called the Hellbender. Oh, I know that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh yeah, and uh, they're they're pretty um, they're pretty large. Oh yeah, they are they're pretty large. And uh, the but the largest are. actually are, are living in Asia, and they're just uh, giant salamanders, and they live. Um, in a couple different locations in Asia. I believe the Chinese one is the largest, but I can't remember. Uh, but they can reach uh, close to uh, six foot in length. Ooh. So, uh, aptly named giant salamander. Our hellbender does not get that that large, right? Maybe, I, I'm, I'm not 100% sure, and I might be like a foot or I'm two. Say, I think it's like um, a foot. Yeah, <coughs> but, have, but they uh, are still have, the largest North American salamander. We have um, the tiny salamanders, uh, uh, and you've obviously seen my house. Uh, in our backyard. Oh yeah. We have the little little ones, but I know the giant ones are the the, the, the hellbenders. Uh, those are in a different part of Ohio, though, right? Those are like in the, in the southern. Yeah, area. they they live in a lot of uh, creek environments that are they're fast. Um, I think in fast moving water, but it's been kind of a bummer. They actually uh, somewhat sad. threatened. Oh. Um, as a result of human activity, you know, uh, same old story. But um, a lot of the locations are kind of kept uh, mum just because they, I believe, have been part of a pet trade. And so when people find out where they are, they will poach them, essentially. Um, so the locations, if known by biologists, are commonly concealed as an effort to uh, restore their populations or maintain That's really cool. Populations. And I, um, I was remembering when I was, I've, we talked about this one a bit in one of our Japanese animal episodes. It was, um, I was remembering that there was this, um, the show River Monsters on Animal Planet. The guy was like fishing and like trying oh, to yeah. fall the ultimate creature. <laughs> and usually he's just catching fish. He just, he catches one of these things. He just looks so bewildered. as like, this is what my life has become. I've run out of fish. So now we're going <laughs> to use this. We're gonna work our way up the food chain. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're not very like fast, right? They're pretty slow, aren't they? Um, you know, salamanders go. They can be pretty, pretty elusive, no matter what. Okay. Um, if not fast, kind of like slippery. <laughs> so, what about um, the, the hellbenders? Like, what is what's what's cool about them? All right. So, a couple unique facts about the hellbender. Um, they have light. Uh, sensitive cells all across their body Ooh. so it allows them to see pretty much everywhere um, 
or at least at least help it hide yeah um so it's not like eyes all over its body right like we're not going to give that impression it actually has pretty terrible um eyesight uh but it has light sensitive cells uh which allows it to detect light and whether or not it's um visible to a potential predator uh, because i think some fish can actually predate upon these hellbenders um so uh especially on their tail i guess they have a lot more of these uh, sensitive light cells and um if it senses light, you know, from its tail or from the rest of its skin, it actually can uh, hide. Um, That's pretty awesome. A little bit more efficiently. Um, you have tr- and also true another sight. fact about him is, huh? It's like, it's like true sight. You can see everything at once. It's awesome. Oh yeah, it's like pretty pretty intense. Um, and another cool fact about them is they don't have gills. They don't have lungs they use to breathe. They just breathe cutaneously. They have a lot of folds in their skin, which allows for an increase in surface area uh, for their uh, skin. And it allows for more uh, oxygen to pass across that cutaneous layer, right? So they breathe only cutaneously, which is why they need uh, well-oxygenated river systems. Uh, generally, uh, rivers that are moving, or streams, we should call them, uh, with quicker moving water is going to increase the oxygen transport into that water, uh, thereby increasing the uh, niche breadth of that particular species. Let's take it to like the classic, like one of the first ever of am- true amphibians. So polywag, polywhirl, like that whole species was really like one of the first true amphibious ones. And it was, I mean, it's in the name, like polywag, like it's it's a tadpole with the swirl can you tell us anything about polywag oh yeah i actually even remember polywag right he's the guy with the swirly on his stomach yeah. right yeah so it's kind of like a tadpole right so um some of the adaptations that i think you could apply from amphibians to him or her you know uh is that amphibians inherently they have thin skin uh, to help with other adaptations, which is why you might see the uh, see-through belly on the polywag. Um, this thin skin allows for increased uh, oxygen transport across that skin, like I was just kind of talking about. Uh, but it also allows for the ability to uh, absorb water uh, more readily and also uh, secrete toxins more efficiently. Um, a lot of amphibians actually produce toxins. Oh. You might have seen in, in movies and TV shows of the poison darts uh, that people blow out of a, of a bamboo shoot, right? And they generally are poisoned by rubbing it on the skin of a frog or something along those lines. Um, there's actually some truth to that, right? There's a lot of uh, poisonous amphibians. And uh, we'll use uh, poisonous instead of venomous in this case. But... Uh, Thank yeah. you. Thank you very much. Appreciate <laughs> you know, that. People are going to be a stickler about that. But yeah, we, so we like are. we even we have some stickers. poisons here, right? Like I think mm-hmm. even toads secrete poison out of their what are known as parotid glands. Um, but anyway, so a byproduct of this thin skin can be translucence, right? Because it's so thin, you can actually see through That's it. Terrifying. Um, yeah. So this isn't the only reason, right? Though this can also be advantageous. Um, it's not just a. It's not just like an appendix, right? Where it's just left over, um, or a relic of some other reason. This can also serve as a defense mechanism uh, for these animals. Uh, it makes the amphibian a little bit more difficult to see uh, because they're translucent. Uh, a prime example of this would be the glass frogs that you can find. Oh, they're so yeah. cool. Yeah. So they're completely translucent you can see their innards and everything but they're translucent it helps them to hide from predators um they're extremely small right but uh yeah the glass frogs of the tropics you get on a costa rica uh look up look up a guide for amphibian calls and if you listen closely you might hear one you can follow that sound to maybe a glass fall glass frog if you have a keen enough eye um so that thin skin that polywag has might help it become uh, camouflaged Pokemon or <laughs> uh, secrete toxins because it has thin skin. Huh. So we'll go ahead and... Um, combine, you wanna, I do want to bring wanna it back. combine these last two? Yeah, let's combine the last two. So uh, there were two Pokemon that share very similar characteristics with their related generators. One is Wooper uh, from Generation 2. He is actually the, the, the smaller form of Quagsire. Right. Then you also have the meme 
worthy Pokemon. Mudkip. Uh, Mudkip. Like Mudkip. Everyone loves. I do. Everyone loves Mudkip. Everyone loves Mudkip. So, but the two of them, I believe they share a common animal, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, they actually do. Um, <clears throat> they're similar to uh, axolotls. Um, they're also somewhat uh, similar. Um, mud skippers. Um, losing. I'm losing uh, my. Yeah, the mud skipper. Yeah, or the mud puppy. So, uh, uh, axolotls and mud puppy evolutionarily are pretty distinct. Um, they are from different families of salamanders, um, but they share a similar niche. Again, uh, niche is defined as a uh, place in, in an ecosystem or a role that that uh, particular species plays. So, um, both these um, species, the mud puppy and the uh, axolotl, uh, axolotl being from Central America, the mud puppy uh, from all over the place, right? It's a whole genus. Um, but a lot of listeners, if they ever took an anatomy course in, in college, maybe even high school if they're lucky uh, got to dissect a mud puppy no um, ew i got to dissect oh, sharks it's florida thing oh yeah yeah sharks are pretty wild right Pig i mean that's a whole new can of worms mm -hmm. they don't even have bones but uh <laughs> um yeah so they they share similar qualities um they're both neotenous so if i if you remember that word i mentioned earlier neotenous is essentially just a word for animals that don't fully metamorphose but they still reach um, excuse me, uh, sexual maturity. Mm -hmm. um, so, for example, when we think of amphibians, they undergo metamorphosis. Um, they have, most of them have an aquatic larval stage, uh, but then they metamorphose and, and have a partial, at least, terrestrial stage. Now, these two amphibious species, these salamanders, uh, they generally do not have a terrestrial stage. They generally reach sexual maturity, but they maintain their um, kind of larval attributes. Uh, so, for example, they maintain gills. They, they are exclusively aquatic organisms, um, but they still walk around, right? So they're kind of like a kid that just never grew up, you know? So um, That's crazy. I'm just a child. <laughs> yeah. It took, like, I want to be a Toys R Us kid. I don't want to grow up kind of seriously. Uh, so, uh, yeah, they, so they walk around on the bottom, right? They can do that. They still have feet, um, unlike, you know, early stage tadpoles that don't. So uh, they do have some adult traits. So what right? are those weird like, things on their heads? Uh, those weird things on their heads are actually their gills. Oh. Um, yeah. So they use those for uh, respiration, right? Okay. Um, so that's the weird thing about amphibians. You get a whole mixed bag of different respiratory mechanisms. You can have cutaneous respiration, uh, like we kind of talked about earlier. Um, and you just don't see that. That is also. Um. So I'd have to double check on that, but I don't think so, okay. right? Um, I mean, I mean, I, I, I know, I know pretty... like mammals are not. I mean, because obviously, like whales and, and dolphins still breathe air. Right. That's pretty awesome. All right, right. cool. It's pretty. Um, yeah. Sorry, just had a coffee, but it's really. I love this about amphibians, where you can just have the like. No, no, we're we're all the same. But he doesn't have lungs. I have lungs and gills at one point. Only gills. Sometimes gills. <laughs> no eyes. <laughs> now, like, there's just. Yeah. It's so cool, and most people forget that when you think amphibians, you think, oh, it's a frog, and that's it. No, there's so much more to these amazing animals. Awesome. Yeah, and you know, it's probably a philosophical debate that I have uh, that I have no um, right to be in. But um, as far as how we think of Pokemon as evolving, uh, I wouldn't call that evolution. Exactly. You know? Thank uh, you. No, we've, yeah. we've said that it's right. a it's a metamorphosis. Uh, it's a metamorphosis. Yeah. So so amphibians. Um, and microbes, shameless plug, um, are about <laughs> as close as you can possibly get to a Pokemon uh, because they undergo this metamorphosis, which is a, an immediate change almost, rather than evolution, which is what we consider to be very gradual change. Um, so this metamorphosis, when you're thinking about Pokemon, um, well, I mean, that's a very amphibious... So You've been away for a while. What I will tell you is uh, Pokemon, and we, we would like to tackle this at a future episode at some point, Pokemon does now have Darwinian evolution. Yep. 
Oh, yeah. Boy. So uh, in the last game series, uh, and you can find them in Pokemon Go now, um, what they did was they took old Pokemon uh, from like the original game and they gave them new typings and traits because they lived in a different region. So they created so it, Insular Dwarfism and Insular Gigantism just based on where the Pokemon are found and gave them legitimate reasons. Except for Alolan yeah. Raichu. That reasoning was dumb and will always be dumb. No, that one was dumb. But like the other one, they were like, oh, these rats are now dark type because they evolved to live at night in Hawaii to avoid the daytime predators. Or this Marowak got right, a fire typing because it's surrounded by grass types. Alright, so it's like very natural yeah. selection. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, my daughter's favorite is... 99.9% uh, .9 of mutations that just caused him to die. Oh, we don't... Those <laughs> yeah. Alolan forms aren't in the game. They died, remember? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Alright, so... Yeah, they, before we played... Uh, before we get more for more tangents, um, really quickly... Um, so, even though you've been away from the game, if you were to, like, make an amphibious Pokemon of any kind, what, like, traits or adaptations would be, would be really cool to put it in, put in? Alright, uh, so, I, I, I go back to the metamorphosis. I think that would be probably the most advantageous trait for amphibians, but, um, considering that, right, a lot of, a lot, if not most of the Pokemon, uh, undergo metamorphosis regardless of where it is on the evolutionary tree um i do have a couple other ideas so um first off where do you classify it is it a water pokemon or is it a grass Ooh, pokemon? i think another physical yeah. philosophical debate yeah. huh could you could you skirt that that uh wire right uh could you balance on that i don't know but uh they kind of did um with quagsire and some of the others uh amphibious pokemon they made them water and yeah. ground type Most of them are water oh, there you go yeah. So, all right. So there's a there's an advantage right there. Um, I would say that uh, a lot of their attack might come from uh, poison that they can produce um, as a result of a often a defense mechanism. But um, I would think uh, a poison uh, would be a useful um, power for a amphibious Pokemon. Um, but a lot of their strength, I think, would come from defense, right? They can sometimes produce these mucus layers, or they can be pretty quick moving uh, to avoid predators. Um, they can move between aquatic systems or, or ground systems, right? So um, there's just a lot of uh, defense. They have the ability to burrow. Um, yeah, well, I mean, a lot of, like, for that. example, the... Uh, uh, ambistomatid salamanders or the mole salamanders such as the spotted salamander or the fire salamander uh, they only uh, generally come out during the spring then they burrow and they're under underground the rest of the time um, so they do have a lot of burrowing abilities um, but they can also have some weaknesses too right they're pretty susceptible to almost any kind of damage that touches them, in particular physical damage, because they have such thin skin. Which is funny, because um, all the things we've told you about so far are, are pretty physically bulky. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, there are there are some amphibious Pokemon in the game that do have poison ability. There's, most of them are semi-aquatic at some point, but yeah, no, Quagsire is considered a and, tank. And like, oh, it's considered, like, just take blows. is one of my favorites. It's, it's, one on, it's always on my team. It evolves, and it, its final form is literally just this bulky, giant mud puppy that can literally just take a beating. <laughs> Bench oh, press a truck. Yeah. That's crazy, because, like, really, a paper cut could just take Oh, guys, you've heard it here. Gen 3ers, guess what? Your Mudkips isn't as great as you think it was. Hashtag Blazikins for okay, the win. Can we, can we ask you... Pick two through a paper plane. It was highly effective. You know? <laughs> but to be fair, our first, uh, our first uh, paper Pokemon... Uh, long story, I'll tell you another day. Uh, is, is actually a grass type and, and would, would drastically kill Swampert in one hit. <laughs> Oh man! Okay. Um, All right. So, and it, I mean, it could be susceptible to other things too, though. Not just physical damage. We're thinking also UV radiation. So maybe it might have susceptibility to fire type Pokemon um, or pollution. So it might actually uh, be susceptible to any other Pokemon that may produce some sort of toxin. Okay. 
uh, because it readily absorbed into its skin, right? That thin skin is this kind of glass jaw, <laughs> so to speak. So something where like the, the thin skin would be advantageous because it would help it with you know evasion or maybe blending in, but then it get, makes it more susceptible to other things. Yeah, it's a little bit of a double-edged no, like sword. That. You can't really have cool. the end without the end. That'd be uh, that, well, and they've done really cool stuff. Like for instance, there's a fish Pokemon now that literally its ability is schooling, and so it, it yeah, it, <laughs> schooling as yeah. in like forming yes. a school or schooling no. as in uh, basketball. No, 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 no. like forming a school of fish. Out. That is its ability. <laughs> It, it's a really fun Pokemon. I wish it was better to fight with because it's it's really funny where it's just this one little fish that it just turns into a swarm of fish <laughs> that look like a bigger, angrier fish. Anyways. <laughs> Is it just not as effective or something? No, it's actually, it's, no, no. it's okay. It was okay. Uh, in the game it came in, it was okay, but it's just, it's not competitive with like eight. It's okay. slow yeah, as it reminds me of like Ice Climbers and, and Smash yes. Brothers. It's like, well... You know, there's two of them, but, you know, do we really want two? You, you know, leave Ice Climbers fall. alone. <laughs> uh, so I got one last question for you, though. Uh, for our listeners, because we, like we like to talk about uh, how this ties in with us, um, what concerns do you have for amphibians going forward in our changing world, and what can we do uh, and our listeners do to help protect them? Oh, man. Uh, so soapbox time, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. So... Yeah, this is a little bit depressing because amphibians, unfortunately, for many of the reasons I just listed, um, are highly susceptible to a changing world influenced by uh, anthropogenic changes, right? Like anthropogenic influences, anthropogenic being human. Um, so uh, they're really susceptible to lots of, of practices that we're doing, such as deforestation, right? So if you deforest a region, you increase the UV radiation to a region. If there's a stream or in, within that forest and the trees are cleared around it, uh, those amphibians are susceptible uh, to that UV radiation increase in that area. Otherwise, they're, they're usually um, hidden by the tree canopy, right? It mitigates that um, influence. So you get a lot of really nasty mutations with amphibians uh, when it comes to UV radiation. And sometimes uh, to assess the health of an ecosystem, one of the metrics that biologists sometimes use is to collect a whole bunch of amphibians and count how many of them have mutations. That's how common that is. Um, they're, they're the most susceptible group of animals, I would say, uh, to human influence, including climate change, um, because they can hold pretty specific niches. Um, they're pretty susceptible to pollutants that may be leaking into the water for the same reasons. I so that's like V radiation. That's like why uh, antibacterial soaps. A lot of them got pulled, right? Oh yeah. So like, if you're going to go out catching frogs or catching amphibians, please be sure uh, to make sure your hands do not have any lotions on them. Um, make sure to like wash your hands. Uh, make sure their hands are wet um, before you touch an amphibian, right? If you're gonna pick a frog up, if you're gonna pick a salamander up, make sure you get your hands wet first, either with, uh, preferably with the water nearby, right? Generally there's gonna be some sort of water nearby because it is an amphibian. Um, or it should be a little bit damp. Wipe your hands on some grass, anything. You just don't want to get that amphibian to dry out because it's so sensitive to that uh, skin. But also another threat to amphibians um, are invasions by, by uh, parasites or, or, or uh, parasitic fungi or infections, I really should call them. Uh, so for example, chytrid fungus um, is a fungus that is eradicated. Uh, for example, the golden toad down in Central America. Um, it was last seen in the 1980s or something like that. The year before it disappeared, they were in abundance. The, the next year, there were hardly any they found. And after that, they, they have been- I've actually, um, I was able to see one of, the, um, yeah. one of the few they had in human care. I was in Denver and they had one at their zoo. And I was like, this is, this is literally one of the only ones left in the world and we got to see it. Oh yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, they're pretty they lucky. Got, hopefully, they're trying yeah, to breed them. That's the good news. I wasn't even aware of that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, and that's the problem, right? Like, so even if you breed in captivity these these animals, 
um, releasing them into the wild is another issue and how long do you wait to release them into the wild and if it's been too long since they've been in the wild um, has that niche already been filled by another organism so that it's going to be outcompeted, right? You have to bracket this within time and space. So it's just a really highly complex issue when an, when an organism goes extinct or its population is reduced and you try to recover that population because, as Jeff Goldblum says, life uh, finds a way. and Something else will <laughs> fill that niche. Every in single absence. interview, so, someone has to quote Jurassic Park. This is a thing that is going <laughs> to keep happening every time. <laughs> We have my friend Will, the dead, the dead animal expert, doing it. And now there's you, the rocket scientist. We bring on the show to do it. For all I know, yeah, probably. Well, I'm glad that I can continue the trend. <laughs> so yeah, so as far as amphibians go, they're highly threatened. They're the most threatened animal species. Some many, many will say, um, but we can change that with our behavior. You know, we can hold accountable the corporations that are influencing this but we also have to consider our own individual impact it's a tragedy of the commons right it's like uh, an onion article i read like throwing this one plastic water bottle away will make a difference say 30 million people at once right so uh we just have to do our part to change our own individual behaviors um and to be kind of just environmentally conscious environmentally aware um i don't want to be too much of a uh, so i'll get off my soapbox here in a minute but um this is just one of the most important issues to me um, which is why I got into uh, the science. Yeah. It's amazing, right? Nature is like walking into a Dr. Seuss book. No. You got to appreciate it because we don't know any other planet that's currently like that. I mean, with the exception of a, a fire-breathing lizard, uh, the real world has done a better job than these games almost 90% of the time. It's what I base all my taxonomic <laughs> conventions, not about bashing yeah. like, here's what the game gets wrong. No, here's what the games get right, and here's how nature has improved it. Like, there's no yeah, greater it's... game out there than nature. There is no greater simulation of survival and adaptation. I can't, like, you can make all the video games you want, but we really, we got this planet. Dude, I, I work at an aquarium or zoo. My life is a soapbox. You're all good. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, <laughs> thank you so much, Dr. Dr. Dean. You've Gordon. been fantastic. Thank you. Thank yeah, you so no much for joining us. Yeah, I'm happy to be on. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity to let me talk a little bit about science. No, we, we appreciate science. it. We want, uh, you know what, and, and our, our listeners love it too, so thank yeah, you. Yeah, hopefully we can bring you back for another topic, maybe with more microbe Pokemon. Yeah. Uh, or oh, genes. yeah, if you, if you want to get me on microbes, man, like, you, you've unleashed <laughs> uh, Kraken. We could do genetics, yeah, we'll though. We'll, do, we'll probably do genetics in the future. We'll house. call you. Yeah. Oh, that's right, my take care. too, so All perfect. Right. Bye. another fun interview we knocked out that was good time that was a good time right there i enjoyed myself yeah that was great actually was so awesome. the only thing the only thing i think is um interesting when i was talking about in the amphibious episode with some of my colleagues we were looking at some of the pokemon to us whooper is just a hundred percent like a mud puppy like it has the gills frills on the outside which is clearly that and we think mudkip with the mudkip like super name should actually be the axolotl they look much more closely the same so i feel like that is something that that that, that is pretty close to directly i know like a I lot did, of the origins i did read that that whooper does look and 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 i think dr dr dean talked about this a little bit it does look a lot like those larval stages though of like giant salamanders yeah, the little one with the gill frill. It really is the gill frills that do it for me. That's the one that, like, show it off. Because the mud puppies are famous for that sort of thing down to the south. Okay. Uh, did, yeah. Uh, I, I, My only uh, rebuttal, I guess, is going to be about... And, and I don't... I want to make this clear. I am not telling people to make waste. Um, I do want to make this clear. Um, and... and, and D, Dr. Dr. Dean and I do get into arguments a bit uh, on the social science versus uh, physical sciences. Quite often, actually. It's really amusing. Um, that, and, and if you've watched, uh, if you ever watch Adam Ruins Everything, which is another great, which is a great show, um, there's an episode on recycling, um, and other economists have talked about this. Uh, the truth about this whole notion that everyone has to do their part is actually a, a campaign. It was a smeared camp campaign created by several large industries who are major polluters. Who are major uh, polluters. 
Um, actually, a, a massive article came out. I'm trying to think because it was in the past few months. I think it was in October. So much has been happening. I swear political campaigns are nasty. Um, that uh, it was like 70% of the world's pollution is just from like 100%, 100, just 100 different companies. Like literally just 100. Wow. So a hundred specific companies in the entire world like are over 70% of the all pollution. And so this whole notion that everyone has to do their part, it's true. Uh, you know, I'm really, we're really good about that at our house. We don't waste things. Uh, and I teach my students that too. But I've also taught the economics of this and where this notion came from because I feel like we, as a culture in America, we tend to ignore where our feelings come from. And a lot of time, if you trace the money, you find uh, someone profiting. And the issue is, is that uh, really most pollution in this world comes from just a handful of companies. Now, for me, I think it's important to note that, but it's always important to do your part thing while it could have been made by these organizations, while they made it for that. For me, it's incredibly important because of what I do for a living. When you're talking to guests about the plight of a lot of these animals, we tell them to not only watch where they buy their food like their seafood for no, but that's what i'm saying you you know you're you're right on it though that's what i'm saying i'm saying it's not as much like oh i recycled my trash it's more of make the economic choice so that these companies change their their action yes exactly i i often will say at work like when it comes to like buying sustainable seafood your wallet has just as much power if not more than your voice uh you'll see we've actually seen changes when people have actually started talking the no straw movement while a very small part of it shows that we can have an impact and it can help it might be a fraction of the pollution out there but the fact that people actually took notice the fact that disney took notice like that's a step and that's one thing that can help and i i I think that's important to realize like while the big companies need to step up and i believe that they will as the world continues to progress we got to keep that pressure on we got to keep that movement going you are much more uh optimistic than i (laughs) i have to be man i work with the public on a regular basis you got to tell them that (laughs) it can be okay i believe it can be okay like it's it stinks but the way i was always taught was that we are the ones who messed up the planet we, we are literally the only ones who can fix it and i think that's a better way of looking at it than we're all gonna die life the church is on fire eat the cows burn it all okay <laughs> okay with uh, that let's move to the closing <laughs> <laughs> was, was eating all the cows too much <laughs> was it burning yep. was it all of it <laughs> yep 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 all right. Uh, so anyway, as for our closing, uh, yep. sorry for any real delays that we've caused, like wait for you guys waiting on episodes and stuff. It's been like it's been a long month. No, that's my fault, and I, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, you know, with political campaigns and and uh, all this stuff with my my new position this year, it's just, it's been it's been difficult. So I'm sorry. It, it, it was me. You can blame Professor Collins. I've been busy. Busy, busy, busy. I'm very sorry, everyone. You heard him, folks. Grab the tomatoes. Come on, start uh, melting. <laughs> no, uh, no, but you know what? We're gonna have more interviews. Um, I've already talked to a few other people, and you know, be looking out for some more live episodes again. Uh, veteran Lucas here came up with a really cool one the other day. Um, so be on the lookout all right so we are back on our twitter i've been working on making sure that i'm really good at sticking to that and putting up fun posts and pictures and getting your opinions um we did actually drop a thing where it was funny where i asked anyone to like give me your worst pokemon and i'll teach about it and some people actually responded so don't worry i will get to you i've seen your lists i will get to you there's nothing i cannot teach about i will always find a way but please (laughs) join us tweet i'll put in the link in all the descriptions where you're finding this stuff talk to us we love hearing your stuff even if you just go hey man you stink i am trained to take that in the positive direction so bring it on you guys (laughs) are fun i want to hear from you guys like you are all wonderful human beings for taking the time to listen and learn okay and uh also subscribe on podbean or itunes or even youtube stay up to date on each episode please give us a five-star review on itunes and we'll pick some uh as they come in and you know we'll read them as often as we feel like <laughs> and for those we've already had people who've 
emailed us suggestions and ideas and comments. If you're not the social media person, yeah, Facebook is our fastest way to reach us. But PokeScience at Yahoo.com is the best way to is uh, the best way to do it without social media. Yep. Um, anyways, and if you're not uh, someone who's afraid of social media, join us on the Pokey Science page on Facebook or the Science Pokemon group also on Facebook. Uh, Facebook.com backslash groups backslash science of Pokemon. And don't forget, we're actually, join us on our Discord. We'll be on that more because we have the UPPL, that le- that podcast league we're joining up. We'd love to hear from you, hear your support, root for us, make our enemies rue the day they challenged us. You know, yeah. positive things. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so, all right thanks on, for coming out, guys. Yeah, on that note of vengeance, thank you guys. Hope you all had a great holiday, Thanksgiving. After we're recording this right before Thanksgiving, I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your day. We'll see you guys next time. Bye, everybody. Peace out. <laughs>